What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another Raw Roundup. I'm your host, Ryan Satin. Over the past few days, I've been in my office at home painting the walls a new color. They're always, they've been white since I moved into this house a few years back when me and my now wife moved in here to help her uh, mother who has dementia. And I don't know, I don't like white walls. I finally painted it and I feel so much more zen in this office now. You guys have no idea. So hopefully it'll help me slow down a little bit when I'm talking on these podcasts alone. Because, yeah, it does feel a little more calming in this room I'm in. But I won't be too calm while doing this podcast because a lot happened on this edition of Monday Night Raw. There's a lot to talk about. I got a lot of thoughts about Theory cashing in his money in the bank against a United States title holder. I'll get to that. I'll get to that. I don't want to talk about it all now. I should save it. For the end of the podcast. So let's just get into the show because a lot was happening during this show. The show begins with the Usos and Solos, Sokoa coming to the ring. Jimmy and Jay brag about the Bloodlines victories at Crown Jewel, but say they're now looking forward to the future and breaking New Day's tag title record this Friday night on SmackDown on Fox. Make sure you're watching it. New Day come out next to assure them the record would stay intact after their match this Friday. Jimmy then calls them second best, which makes Woods go off about how the Usos had a foot in the door to begin with and built their legacy off the backs of their family members. Meanwhile, New Day built their legacy off their own backs. First generation. The Usos talk about having to do it themselves, though, and how New Day have no idea what that amount of pressure is like when you have to continue a legacy. And Woods says, don't you dare talk to me about pressure because you don't know what it's like to be stuck in catering and have to forge the greatest tag team of all time without any support. Now, before I get into this next part, just want to talk strictly about this. This was money. This was so much money, dude. Like, We've seen New Day be funny. We've seen them do their jokey stuff. It's why we love New Day. But at the same time, we know that their legacy is massively important to them. The New Day care about their legacy. They want to go down as the greatest team of all time. That's why, if you've listened to these podcasts, you know that I was a little frustrated initially last week when it seemed like they weren't caring about this but now that they're making it very clear that they do care and they're coming out here and they're talking about their legacy they're talking about Kofi mania they're talking about everything they've done I love it because dude every time Woods talks about their legacy what they had to do to get there what they've done what they mean to people it gets me hyped I'm so hyped every time I hear him talk about it because it's so true And New Day's legacy is so important to WWE, is so important to wrestling. They have done amazing things that should not just be wiped away. That legacy is so important. It's being, it's, I I know it's influenced so many people to follow in their footsteps. And there's a lot of people that watch that are inspired by New Day. I get inspired by New Day because, dude, like Woods, especially when he wants something, he makes it happen. And that's someone you want to get behind. And those people should care about wins and losses. Wins and losses do matter. 
So to see them come out here and to care so deeply about their legacy, about their records, and not let not letting the Usos put them down for it was was perfect, man. Like you could have ended it right here, and I would have been sold on their match this Friday because I was already sold on their match this Friday. They've had so many bangers in the past. These teams are no strangers to each other whatsoever. I don't think you need a ton of hype knowing that these two teams are going to go against each other because it, they never fail to have a bad match against each other. You know, one team is saying they're the best, another team saying they're the best, but there's no denying that these are the two top teams in WWE, especially of the past, you know, five years, six years, seven years. I'm probably underselling it, but like six years, we'll say whatever, five years. They've been so important, these teams. They've been the the focal points of tag team wrestling in WWE. Into, I don't think you need a ton of sell, but when you see the sell as these teams talking about their legacies, you know, it's to a wrestler, like that's everything, you know, like their legacy to an entertainer is like what you're going to be remembered for forever. And so to see how deeply important that is to New Day is important. I think you need to show that on TV. So I was stoked for this one. I really enjoyed this. Now, Riddle comes out for some reason to break up this very serious affair and apologizes for the interruption, but offers Woods a spot in the band that he's trying to form with Elias. He then allows everyone to hit his bong, but Jade, bongo, excuse me, but Jade, <laughs> but Jade doesn't like it, and this turns into a six-man tag challenge. New Day and Riddle versus the Bloodline. Lots of good action in this match, but I was a bit confused as to why they'd be doing this match so close to the tag title match on Friday, especially with how well they had built it up with that opening promo. And doing this match, to some degree, took the steam out a little bit, in my opinion, because you're a little bit less excited about the match if you just saw them wrestle on Monday and you, you know, they had this you know, intense you know, promo battle in the ring, and then they wrestled right after. So it was kind of like all that anticipation got used on this match rather than the match that's taking place on Friday. Now, I will say, smart of them to have uh, the finish where neither New Day or the Bloodline, excuse me, the Usos, were involved. The finish saw Riddle hit an RKO on Jimmy Uso, who he thought was the legal man, but Solo Sokoa, Sokoa was actually the legal man. So he runs in, hits a spinning Solo to get the win for their team. Good match. I enjoyed it. Obviously, these guys are all super talented. They're, they're like I said, they're not going to have bad match with each other. I just kind of was like confused as to why they did this when they're all when 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 you know four of these guys are having a match for the tag titles on Friday. I just I just didn't quite understand that move. But I mean, like good wrestling match. I loved it. Can't complain about it. I'm not going to complain about getting that match. I enjoyed it very much. I just kind of was uh, a little confused as to why. Why they did it before the tag title match on Friday. Next, next we had Baron Corbin versus Cedric Alexander. First JBL comes out to introduce Corbin, as he does now. And this was a short match where Cedric managed to get a little offense in, but he ultimately got hit with an end of days out of a springboard that looked pretty awesome, actually. It was definitely uh, up there for one of the coolest uh, end of days, just because it was dope out of the springboard like that. I'm going to talk about Cedric Alexander in a little bit. I think we're getting something. But let's let's let the pieces of the puzzle play out first and then I can get there. 
next, Seth Rollins has a United States title open challenge. Well, we we thought Seth Rollins was going to have a United States title open challenge. Uh, it gets answered by Judgment Day. Balor gets on the mic and says he has a bone to pick with Rollins for costing him gold years ago. So tonight, he's going to cause Seth to lose gold. The OC come out, though, and this match does not happen. Rollins, I think the WWE on Fox account, worded it perfectly, pulled the Homer Simpson disappearing into a bush meme, and just backs up, dips out of the ring. And before I get to the rest of this, I just want to say, I hope that that was a tease for things to come. That's that's It felt that way. And I like knowing that it's interesting when you watch this show, it feels as if Triple H cared more about the continuity of the shows and making sense of, or not even making sense, but like calling back to the proper things from years ago um, that the fans would want. You know, I think before, like some of these things, like it was almost forgotten about. You, they, they, they wanted you to forget about some of these things. But Triple H is doing a really good job of bringing up things that are things you'll remember, things that you know, and it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it makes you care a little more about what you're watching. And I hope that this was a tease for what's to come in the future because Balor and Rollins having another feud in their current incarnations would definitely be awesome. And I think that Rollins is elevating the status of the United States Championship and a feud between Balor and Rollins over that belt would absolutely do that. So next, uh, AJ gets on the mic and he points out that they've had this Rhea Ripley problem and how it hasn't been a fair fight between the OC and Judgment Day until now. Mia Yim then hops the barricade, or returning Mia Yim hops the barricade and attacks Rhea Ripley from behind. A brawl breaks out after that, leaving Balor and Styles alone in the ring and they fight it out briefly before Finn dips out of the ring. Balor then gets hit from behind by Carl Anderson. And AJ hits the Styles Clash on Dominic before Judgment Day retreat. Mia Yim is back. Man, I said it on Twitter, but like Triple H is earning those W's constantly, man. Constantly. Mia Yim is such a good worker. Mia Yim is entertaining. Mia Yim never got a shot the first time around. I'm stoked to see Mia Yim being brought back and being positioned in a fairly prominent position. Didn't mean to say position there twice, but you get what I mean. Mia Yim is back and she's being featured in a prominent position and I couldn't be more thrilled about it. Another huge W for Triple H. Mia Yim didn't really get a fair shake the first time around, but now that she's paired with the OC and she's opposite Judgment Day, I really think that it's going to be different this time around. She's a really talented person, and I'm excited to see her back, dude. Like, I think that she has continued to prove her worth since she's been gone. She's been doing stuff over at Impact. She's been continuing to put on good matches and I can't wait to see what she does opposite Rhea Ripley. I can't wait to see her on the main roster getting to do, getting to be the version of her character that she sees fit. 
not retribution, not reckoning. Uh, she gets to be a real Mia Yim on the main roster, and I think that she will connect with people. She knows how to connect with the audience. She has done it wherever she goes. She will be a valuable par- part of the roster. I think that also, like, the women's division needed more talent, and he has been building the women's divisions up, dude. Like, we got an Emma back. We got Mia Yim back. We got Dakota Kai brought back. EO called up. So many things happening on the women's division, and I'm loving it. But really, really, really good call to bring Mia Yim back to WWE. Kathy Kelly then tracks Rollins down backstage, and he claims there will still be an open challenge later in the show. Well, at least that's what he says. Next, Otis versus Elias. Gable got on the apron, and Elias hit him with a knee from the top rope, but this distracted Elias long enough for Otis to attack him from behind. Otis then hit his finisher for the pinfall victory. Uh, not a lot to analyze here, but I mean, I think that the, the real takeaway from this match was how much Otis kept getting put over on commentary, talking about you know how how serious of a competitor he is, and people need to be taking making sure they, they take him seriously, and um, talking about you know his his. Um, his, his accolades before WWE and, and what he did as a collegiate wrestler. And there was a lot of building going on for Otis too. And I've said this for the past couple months now, since triple H came back, it's felt like alpha Academy has been getting a low key, serious push the whole time. Like they've been consistently used, um, not treated like enhancement talent taken as serious competitors um, and, and I think that's great. I think, you know, when you want to maximize everyone's value, that's what you want to do. And so even a short match like this doesn't hurt Elias at all. And it helps Otis, even if he won by cheating. Next, Judgment Day are asked about Mia Yim backstage. And they're all super pissed off. Everyone's all pissed off. Poppy or, or uh, Dominic's mad about the way they're talking to mommy. And then... Rhea says, Rhea calmly says, bring in Mia Yim, bring in the whole army, and see if I care. Made her look badass. She was the only one calm about the situation. And then before they're done, because they all start walking off, Bianca Belair walks into the frame briefly, and her and Rhea have a little stare down. Foreshadowing for the future. Give me that, though. Rhea Ripley's been out of the title scene for way too long even though I love everything she's been doing with Judgment Day, the time has come for her to be challenging for the women's title again. I'm assuming, unless... So, two things here. One, the way we get there is Rhea is the last person for Team Bailey, for Team Damage Control, alongside Nikki Cross. That's an option. And then after that, it transitions into something between Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley, that's possible, but I do think it's more likely that we'll see Rhea and Bianca after War Games. That makes more sense. Triple H has been, a, has been doing a good job of kind of like foreshadowing things. So rather than forcing that in, I could definitely see that being the plan for after War Games. Now I'm talking about War Games. I'm already getting ahead of myself here. Uh, but that's the next segment. I'm going to talk about it. But first, here's a quick commercial break. 
Okay, so Bianca, Alexa, and Asuka come out next. They say they have something they want to say to Damage Control, who answer the call. After an exchange of words, Asuka and Io get into it in Japanese, and then a fight breaks out between both teams. That Japanese argument was amazing. <laughs> I loved it. It was one of those small things where it's like we've heard we've heard Asuka kind of like go off in Japanese before, but to hear Io give it back to her in Japanese, and they're both doing it. And then you can almost hear Asuka go like, oh, you want to speak Japanese too? And then she's like, yeah, and they're kind of going back. <laughs> and you have Asuka with the baka baka, and then Io with just the cold bitch to Asuka. So fun. Great little moment there between the two of them. When they eventually have some kind of like feud over the women's title, it's going to be awesome. We're not there yet, obviously. Uh, Bianca then challenges Team Damage Control to a War Games match, and Nikki Cross comes out of nowhere and joins Damage Control to give them the advantage in their attack. Bailey says she'll see Bianca at War Games, and officially that match was made on social afterwards. So right now we've got Bianca, Alexa, and Asuka, and then two unnamed competitors against... Damage Control, and Nikki Cross. So one more person needed for Team Damage Control, two more needed for the opposing team, for Team Bianca in War Games. I just, so I think there's two, one of two things that could play out here. I just I don't know the status of a lot of people, and I'm not a newsman anymore, and I'm not going to even go off of news reports. I'm just kind of going to go off of story-wise and maybe – what I'm thinking wise, and that's there's two options that seem to be present here. The first option, if we're just going based off of what I've seen on TV, the most prevalent options to me would be Candice LeRae returning from injury since she was attacked, and then um, Becky Lynch returning from injury since she was attacked by damage control. Those are the final two, you know, the two people who damage control took out. That seems to be the most story-logical thing. Don't know what Becky Lynch's injury status is whatsoever. I've seen different reports. Don't know which is accurate. No inside uh, info whatsoever. But to me, just from watching everything, if the story plays out correctly, then it should be Becky Lynch returning from injury to get revenge for damage control, taking her out. Somehow, Bailey wins the women's title after that, and then we get Bailey versus Becky Lynch for the women's title in a new program. That's kind of what I could see going forward there, right? However, at the same time, obviously, the, the biggest thing related to the women's tag team titles in the last year was the fact that Sasha Banks and Naomi left the company while still holding the belts. Then they went... And they got vacated. Eventually, once Triple H take over, took over, there's a tournament. And I just think it would be huge if Triple H, because he's the one bringing everyone back, if he somehow got Sasha and Naomi back in the fold, it would be huge if the female War Games match was damage control, Nikki Cross, and whoever against Bianca, Alexa, Asuka, and a returning Sasha Banks, 
and Naomi. That would be the biggest possible option, I think. Doesn't even matter storyline-wise that that there that there might not be the thing there like there is with Becky and Candice. I think that because it was such a big news story and because it was such a big thing and because of the history of Bailey and Sasha, you don't necessarily even need more of a reason than that, especially to be on Team Bianca. Bianca and Sasha main evented WrestleMania. It's all there. So you don't really need the same... You don't really need the same, you know, story behind it, especially when you factor in that Dakota and Io are the women's tag team champions right now. But Sasha Banks and Naomi never lost the belts. There's your reason storyline-wise right there. That's kind of where my head is at when it comes to this female War Games match. I also have been wondering if maybe Dewdrop is the final competitor for Team Damage Control. She was a teammate with Nikki, they were having their issues, but we really haven't seen much of Dewdrop since the breakup. And now we've seen Nikki Cross return. What if we get something closer to Piper Niven and she becomes the next member of Damage Control for the War Games match? Maybe not permanently in the group, but I'd be into that. And I bet you she'd kick ass in a War Games match. Next. We had Austin Theory versus Shelton Benjamin. And Shelton Benjamin trends like once a month after someone posts an old highlight reel of his. So utilizing him on TV more would absolutely be smart. This was a quick one, though. Shelton got impressive offense in during the time they had. He even did his run up the ropes, did his running knee. But Theory wins by raking the eyes. And hitting his finisher. Love seeing the rake of the eyes make a return in the Triple H era. Next, The Miz comes out to talk about how Johnny Gargano's interview last week was completely false and fabricated. Says he's going to sue Gargano and that there's a prominent Hollywood producer who wants to tell his side of the story. Gargano comes out after that. He says he has to blow the whistle on himself a little bit. He hoped Miz would get shamed by that interview and pay Dexter, but that didn't happen. So he realized he needed stronger evidence against The Miz. He then says the Hollywood producer Miz met with was actually a private investigator that he hired who was wearing a camera. He then shows footage of Miz admitting everything and that he stopped paying Dexter because things got a little too hot. Nice little button on that whole thing. Wrap it all up. I'm into it. I had said I wanted to find out the reason. We found out the reason. Everyone has gained from this now. And I also think it's good that Dexter does have a mouthpiece in someone. So someone can talk for him still and and, and speak as to what he's thinking because they know him. Um, that's not a bad thing. Even though, you know, the Johnny Gargano-Dexter relationship has only, you know, has now been explained on TV. But it's not maybe something that everyone who watches was super, you know, knowledged on. But now... You know, they are understanding of the fact that there's a relationship between Johnny Gargano and Dexter Loomis. And I thought that I thought that it's something as simple as just like a private, you know, or a, a hidden camera, but those little things are like fun for me. Like I felt like we got too much of like the talk shows and the setups were all so similar for so long in WWE that just something as simple as like hidden camera footage that someone filmed outside of the arena during the week. 
It just makes the world of WWE feel bigger to me. It makes it feel more relevant. feels bigger. I like it. Um, it was also funny that Johnny claimed to be using a u- universal remote control to handle the Titantron. Securities and arenas everywhere are going to be so pissed now when they have to confiscate people's universal remote controls they're trying to bring in to, <laughs> so that they can control the Titantron. Then we had Miz versus Johnny Gargano. And Johnny just doesn't have a bad match, dude. You can literally always count on him to entertain. And this was no different. And same for Miz, too. The guy is such a pro. Uh, He always wants to put new talent. uh, He's always putting new talent on the main roster to the test. And this was a time where Gargano passed with flying colors, just as you would expect him to do. They, They gelled so well in the ring together. And I really enjoyed seeing them go against each other. The Miz saw the finish saw Miz appear to be pulled under the ring. Then he crawled out with a part of the turnbuckle, acting like Dexter was chasing him. Instead, though, while the ref was checking under the ring, Miz used that steal to hit Gargano and win the match. Dexter then ran out afterwards and hit Miz with a chair, then sat over his limp body before security chased him out of the arena. Like I said, um, these guys both, you know, it's it's tough for these guys to miss. When the Miz has the right dance partner, he's gonna put out good quality content, and that's exactly what this is. And man, like Gargano just continually week by week makes the case for him to be one of the top baby faces on Monday Night Raw. Like it re- like he's just He's really been carrying every segment that he's been in in a way that just feels so natural. It feels like he belongs. Feels like he is a top guy in some respect, even though it was an NXT like that has carried over. And I, he really has been incredibly entertaining uh, since joining Monday Night Raw. And week by week, you know, he changes. You know, he can do fun stuff. He can do serious stuff. He can put on a great match. He's just been such a valuable member of the roster, the raw roster since coming aboard. Damage control talk with Nikki Cross backstage after that. They say they were going to end her, but then realized that she's just like them. So they tell her to destroy Dana Brooke tonight. And and Nikki says, it's time to play. Stoked to hear her bring that catchphrase back. It's always badass when she was talking about. You know, time to play. Nikki, Nikki wants to play. Let's play. All that kind of stuff. Big fan of it when she was doing that in NXT. So then after that, we got Dana Brooke versus Nikki Cross for the 24-7 championship. Hadn't seen the 24-7 championship in a while. And we probably won't see it again for a while after this, it seems, because, because uh, Nikki hits her finisher and wins the 24-7 title, then throws it in the trash and walks away. After a commercial break. Well, she tried to throw it in the trash. and missed a little bit. But the point was still made. First, I just want to say this. Nikki has such impressive range. The way that she can seamlessly transition between characters in a believable manner makes me believe that she'd be a great actor after wrestling. The, the viciousness that she shows as this current character again was just so missed. She does unhinged better than any of the other women in WWE. But then at the same time, she can be a superhero. She can be a nice person. She can be serious. Like, she really can just play anything. And that's such a valuable tool to have. 
Um, that takes skill. That's not an easy thing to just be able to seamlessly transition in, in that way. So you got to give props. You got to give props to Nikki Cross in how she just commits to everything that she does. And, you know, to some degree, there's always success there because of it. You know, she just shoots for the moon and, 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 and it shows people respect her for that. But I think this unhinged Nikki Cross is her best character. It was so cool seeing her just like go wild in the ring again. She looks so crazy when she's just beating someone up and, and doing like throat chops and just hammering them on the ground. It's such like a, a different style than what we're used to from her. It's so much more brutal and it it works so well. And I'm a big fan of it. Super smart of Triple H to bring her back as this character. All right. So now we've gotten pretty much to the end of the show here. Uh, a lot happens here in these final few segments, though. Uh, Seth Rollins comes out for his United States Championship Open Challenge Part 2. Before Seth, excuse me, before someone comes out, though, Seth mentions that this month marks 10 years of him being in WWE. And then he cuts a fairly babyface promo, talking more like his old self again, not doing the cackling, not doing some of the, 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 the mannerisms of his current character. Instead, it was a lot more like the Monday Night Rollins era of talking. You know, the, 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 the guy who wanted to put this company on his back and carry it for the fans... And you can hear it in his voice. His voice changes when he's talking like that. It's it's a different, you know, it's a different attitude and mindset. You know, much like Nikki Cross, you can see the shift immediately between the two different characters. One's over the top and crazy, and the other one's much more grounded in reality. Uh, and I I I do feel as though after watching this, and I promise we're gonna I hate to get ahead of myself again, but I do feel after watching this and last week as well, that we are definitely getting a Seth Rollins babyface turn. We got the blonde hair again. We got him talking like his old self again. He's he's wrestling like a babyface again. Uh, I think babyface Seth is on the way back. And I got nothing I got I got no issues with that. I think that Triple H understands babyface Seth better than anyone and I think the booking will be uh, much different this time around for him, and hopefully not something that makes the fans turn on him again. So after that, Seth asks someone to answer his open challenge, and Mustafa Ali answers backstage from the Titantron. But rather than actually getting to be the one who answers the open challenge, he gets jumped by Bobby Lashley. And Lashley then says the only reason he's not the U.S. champion is because of Seth and Brock. And he wants his title back. Ali tries to jump Lashley from behind. But Lashley just tosses him over the production boxes. And the match between Lashley and Rollins is set. Poor Mustafa Ali. (laughs) Poor Mustafa Ali, man. Uh, The guy... uh, (laughs) I'm loving this push from him. But I felt real bad for him in this instance. He, he uh, He keeps getting dissed backstage by people. But I'm still happy to see him in the mix. I, I, it shows they have clearly not forgotten about what's going on. 
but it does feel as though they are re- they are noticing that the people are still singing for Seth and they do see life in a babyface character for him. So, makes sense to start turning him babyface again. And it seemed, well, we'll get to that. I want to get, I keep trying to get ahead of myself, but let's finish talking about this. So Seth Rollins versus Bobby Lashley, U.S. title match. The match begins with an enraged Lashley attacking Rollins before the bell. He then beat the hell out of Seth ringside, and backstage officials tried to stop him from continuing, but he ended up slamming Seth through a table instead. Lashley then walked to the top of the ramp and... And, uh, you know, was looking back at what he did when suddenly Theory shows up with the Money in the Bank briefcase as they go to a commercial break. Now, before I get to all that, let's just talk about Lashley here. So, um, Lashley. It looks to me like we're getting a double turn. It's not just Seth's turning face. It looks like they're trying to do a full-blown double turn with Seth and Lashley. Lashley going back to being a heel. Seth going back to being a babyface. And if you look at this whole show, right, one of the things you can see from this, okay, so Lashley loses to Brock. He finally gets the match of his dreams, and he loses to Brock. It makes him snap. He's starting to turn back into the heel Lashley, who just wants to go crazy on people, you know, who just wants to be an absolute monster in the ring. He snaps. He comes out. He beats up Rollins. Very heel-like. Not babyface-like, much more heel-like. But if you look at this whole show, who else was on this show? Cedric Alexander getting in a surprising amount of offense against Baron Corbin. Shelton Benjamin talking crap to Theory and then getting a surprising amount of uh, offense against him. Wait a second. Theory. Theory and Lashley. Theory then cashes in his money in the bank, right? So we get Theory versus Rollins for the United States title. Rollins kicks out twice from moves done by Austin Theory. Theory then hits the pedigree on Rollins, but he kicks out again. Rollins begins to fight back and eventually goes for the stomp. But Theory reverses it into A-Town down. Theory goes for the pin, but Lashley returns and pulls the ref out of the ring. He then beats Theory down outside of the ring. And Theory almost gets counted out, but as he finally gets in to beat a 10 count, he gets hit with a stomp and pinned. Seth retains the United States title. Okay, so Shelton Benjamin had an issue with Theory. Bobby Lashley had an, in, had an incident with Theory tonight. Both of them have issues with Theory after tonight. We saw that backstage between Shelton Benjamin and Theory. Come on we got to be leading towards the Hurt Business coming back. If we're trying to reposition everyone to their greatest selves, the, the, the greatest version of Bobby Lashley in the past few years has been when he was in the Hurt Business, when he had the Hurt Business by his side. And suddenly, we get Shelton Benjamin back on Raw. Suddenly, we get Cedric Alexander back on Raw. Come on. we got to be leading to a Hurt Business reunion. That's where I think this is going now. Let's backtrack a little bit because I had to get that out of the way before I talk about this. What the absolute hell is the logical reasoning for Theory to cash in his money in the bank against the United States title holder? 
I know what you're going to say. You're going to, because I tweeted this and I got a lot of responses. So I already know what you're going to say back to me. <laughs> you're going to say, Ryan, every time he got close to Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns destroyed him. Every time he tried, the bloodline beat him up, beat him to the punch, couldn't do it, couldn't get his opportunity against Roman. And this is what I say to you. You're wrong. And let me tell you why. <laughs> You're wrong. The, the thing is this. The Money in the Bank briefcase is not strictly something that only has to be used to cash in on someone after a match. You don't have to only use the Money in the Bank briefcase to take out an incapacitated opponent. You can use the Money in the Bank briefcase for a title match of your choosing at any point in time. So if you're having trouble cashing in on Roman Reigns, why wouldn't you instead just say, I'm going to call my shot. I'm going to main event this pay-per-view against Roman Reigns. And just do it. There's nothing that can stop you from doing it. Furthermore, you don't even have to win the Royal Rumble to main event WrestleMania. You could just hold on to your Money in the Bank contract and then say, I'm in the main event of WrestleMania. And nobody can stop you. If you're a cocky heel, from a logical standpoint here, just from a logical standpoint, I'm going to go to the other side after. From a logical standpoint, if you're a cocky heel, wouldn't you, even if Roman Reigns was messing you up anytime you tried to go against him, wouldn't you still use your Money in the Bank contract to be in the main event of WrestleMania so that you could up your status as a WrestleMania main eventer, especially when you saw a guy like Logan Paul who's wrestled three matches hold his own against Roman Reigns in Saudi Arabia? Logically, I'm just talking from a logical standpoint here because now I'm going to talk on my wrestling brain, not my logic brain, not my storyline logic brain. I'm talking about my wrestling brain here now. It was very evident that Austin Theory was never going to beat Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. I get that wholeheartedly. I also understand that you got it, that, that, that it felt like because of that, they felt a little uh, backed into a corner, like they needed to figure out what to do with this. And so they were like, well, let's just get rid of it so we don't have that handcuff anymore with him and we can just try to build him up appropriately rather than trying to force him down everyone's throat. And they've been doing a good job of that. Matches like the one he had against Shelton Benjamin. Matches like the one he had against Seth Rollins. But just from a logical standpoint, wouldn't it make more sense if Theory had cashed in on the NXT champion like he teased? Why would you... Cash in for a secondary title. I guess, I mean, you don't want to move yourself off of Raw, I guess. But you got a year. I, I, I just, I just, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around that from a logical standpoint. Now, from an entertainment standpoint, I really enjoyed all of this. I was enjoying all of this. I thought it did a great job for Lashley. I thought it did a great job for Rollins. It was a fun story. It was better than other failed Money in the Bank cash-ins. I can definitely say that much because those ones were kind of lame in the past. But this one, man, 
a failed money in the bank contract cash in when you seemed stupid as it was for cashing in on a secondary title didn't really do a ton of wonders for Austin Theory in my book. But maybe that was the point. They felt like he still had more to learn and that it was it was a it was a learning lesson, maybe. I guess you could look at it that way. And ultimately I don't want them to take the United States title off of Seth Rollins yet. He's doing a good job holding that. So it made sense in a way to use this open challenge as a way of getting rid of the Money in the Bank contract and just kind of like erasing that from the board so they can do it better next year. Changing Lashley's attitude and position it in a way that might lead towards the return of the Hurt Business. Doing something to Seth where the audience almost feels bad for him and they're sympathetic to him to help him as a babyface. These are all good things. I just logically just couldn't grasp why someone would do that. It makes that character look so dumb to me. But that's just me. All right, I'm done here. That's the end of the show. Uh, make sure you follow WWE on Fox, on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Also, make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast feed. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, one that you write out. I typically read them on the show, but I was real fired up during this episode, so I didn't. I had the chance to do it. I, I, I hit record like right when the show ended so I could just talk it out with all the listeners on here. So uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed. Uh, you can also hit five stars on Spotify if you think I have earned it. Also, follow, the, excuse me, subscribe to the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. That's where you can find Out of Character every Wednesday morning on video. It's where you can find clips from Raw and SmackDown. There's YouTube shorts. There's a community tab. Everything you'd want from a YouTube channel. So make sure that you subscribe to the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. And lastly, wait, was that everything? I think I got it already. I already told you to subscribe to the podcast. I told you to subscribe to the, to the YouTube channel. Yeah, I told you to follow us on social media. What else do you want from me? I'm done shilling for everything here. I'll let you go about the rest of your day, but make sure you're back here on Wednesday. We got an out of character best of coming to the podcast feed. And then next week I will be back with a brand new episode of out of character as well. So I'm, uh, don't be too mad at me for doing a best of, uh, I had some stuff going on, but I will be back next week with a brand new interview for out of character. And I'll be back here on Friday with another SmackDown roundup. All right. That's it. I'm done. Officially tapping out for now. Till next time, I'm Ryan Satin, and this has been a Raw Roundup.